Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. Bob, how's it going, man? <laughs> it's going well, Doug. It's uh, it's good to see you. It's always nice when we get to say hi again after we've already said hi. Uh, yes. But then we press record and get to say hi. So yeah. Hello to you. Yeah. Hello to you for the. This is now the fourth time I think we're saying hello. <laughs> it's like alternate universe kind of stuff. Yes. It is. Yeah. 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 So a couple weeks here into September. How uh, how's it going? Uh. i can't i can't time travel i don't know yet (laughs) folks this is funny because we're actually recording this uh back in august and so what makes it great is we're trying to think ahead to what future bob and doug will be doing yeah it's august 21st but you'll be listening to this in mid-september so i'm gonna say doug i never would have seen what is happening in the news coming. I mean, it is so, (laughs) I'm just gobsmacked. I am, I I am speechless by the headlines today. Yes. Less speechless. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, no, uh, in general, Doug, things are good. Um, we're actually even here in, in August thinking ahead to September, we're getting a little taste of fall. Mm. Uh, here in Boise as as the remnants of Hurricane Hillary have kind of come up and met us and cooled everything down and it's raining and it it feels like fall already. So yeah, maybe I, I can get in the mindset and say, yeah, fall is off to a good start. Yeah, I actually sat outside on Saturday night with uh, flannel and jeans and uh, next to a fire pit with a really nice glass of bourbon. And nice. it was just, I was, th- I mean, it was, in the fifties, which was re that doesn't normally happen, but man, it got me stoked. I was just so excited. And I was all by myself too. My fa- like my, the girls were out, uh, my son's off at college. So the girls were out hanging out with friends and being social. And I was sitting by a fire pit by myself, which was got me in the mood for the fall. It was great. Nice. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we've, uh, kind of re-kicking things off here three weeks in it's just been exciting to get back in the saddle um we've got a great interview today which which we'll get to here in a few minutes but yeah bob some of the hats that both you know you and i have worn in ministry is we've experienced a lot of different things right so what are the hats that you've worn in ministry like yes you've been you've been a lead pastor but what else have you been yeah uh let's see so of course like most of us started my ministry career off in youth ministry Mm. which you know with the hindsight the benefit of of uh 25 30 years of hindsight i look back now and think man why is it that we see this as a stepping stone thing Mm. you know it I feel like you shouldn't let anyone anywhere near the teens until they've been in ministry for 10 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there is so much happening there and in their yeah. lives. And when you are just a couple years removed from it, you're still kind of clueless about it. And yeah, you kind of maybe connect with them a little bit better or feel more relevant to them. But I look at it and say, you know, the best youth pastors I've ever met are those are those lifers, those those men and women that have been doing it for like 20 or 30 years. Yeah, like they get it. And I just I just wish that more of our youth ministry professionals um, had had that kind of they'd been in it for that long or that we didn't see it as something to grow out of. But your question was, what are the hats I've worn? And so I I did do youth ministry for a while, um, came to discover that that was not a lifelong calling, even though I felt like in maybe in college, that's what what I was going to do. Um, and then, yeah, as a worship pastor, an associate pastor, and then a church planter and lead pastor. Mm. Yeah. Was that kind of your, uh, your journey as well? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I actually started out as uh, the maintenance guy. Um, <laughs> it was sort of like this, ha, this co thing nice. of, I was doing some maintenance, uh, and, uh, an, an assistant youth pastor. So it, it actually worked out really well. Um, cause I was good at cleaning things, uh, at that point in time. And it was like, I cleaned toilets and hung out with kids and learned a lot about Jesus and that, but yeah, kind of the similar. And I was, I was the guy that thought I was going to be the lifer youth men guy. Um, and I just really, really enjoyed 
all the years that I had to do that, I did that for 10 years. Uh, and then somewhere along the line, there was sort of that switch to church planting. I just got this itch, went through some stuff, um, went through some assessment programs. Um, and then I jumped into a church that was looking to train some church planters and apprentice some church planters. And so I was there for yeah. a year and halfway through that, they asked me if I'd stay and be the pastor of that church. And so that was with JR and that was, uh, Gosh, that was in 2011. So many, it felt more than was that 12 years now? Yeah, I've been yeah. I've been here for 12 years and just recently transitioned, maybe four or five years ago, into the lead pastor role. So yeah, it's it's been quite the journey, um, but it, it's interesting because I feel like so this is kind of a weird question, but when you're a youth pastor, did you have dreams of being a lead pastor? And I'm wondering if lead pastors ever have dreams of being something different, like <laughs> other than working at Home Depot or Lowe's, like what, like yeah. what's, what's the ministry envy point? I think, you know, I, I, I think for many people, the ministry envy point is whatever they currently are not doing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that thing of, well, I'm an associate, boy, I would love to I'd love to be in that first chair, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you get in that space and you feel the weight of it, there's like, boy, I would love to just, I would love to just focus on this part of ministry. Just do that. I'd love to, boy, I'd love to just be the discipleship pastor. I'd love to just be the teaching pastor. I'd love to be the executive pastor instead of having to carry the whole weight of things. So I think, I think it's that the grass is always greener. That's the, (laughs) that's the point at which, you know, but, but there is this this kind of thing of I I love it when uh, I meet people that are doing um, I hate to say what they're called to do because I feel like God's calling is is to the character of Jesus and not hmm. to a particular ministry role. I'd you know? love to I'd love to unpack that more, but keep going. Oh, I've yeah. got a lot to say about that. But good. Um, but when they are they are. Uh, really firing on all four cylinders in their gifting, you know, and they're doing kind of that thing that um, that place where their their passions and talents meet the needs of the congregation and the world, and and it's just right. And whether that's the the youth ministry professional, the person who's been doing it for many years, or the worship pastor that um, has been doing it for a couple decades and is still passionate about leading God's people in worship or that pastor that just loves to, to kind of guide the congregation, but doesn't, doesn't um, have a tight grasp on the role. Like they have to be in charge. You know, they're just, they're leading out of, out of influence rather Mm. than out of like authority. You know, I Mm. love, I love coming into contact with folks like that. Yeah, there is something to be said about the person that actually just recognizes that the the thing that they do is 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 part of what they enjoy, but it's not deeply connected to who they you know to like yeah. their their personality and all of this stuff. Because I, I, I think you're right in that. Where I, I remember being a young pastor, thinking, "Oh, I would do it completely differently," or "Oh, that <laughs> you know that's so." And that was in the beginning of the missional movements. Well, not like the beginning, but when missional theology yeah. was really coming into being. And so, for me, it's like anything that was around the church was like, "That's so stupid." Like, why would you do that? Like, why would you like continue to build this thing? Um, we need to be out there and and all this other stuff. But I think it's interesting because it gives you that perspective of what if you just started to enjoy what you're doing and see God present in those things yeah. opposed to like the things that you wish you were doing at some point in time. Yeah, um, absolutely. It, it almost reminds me of the story of, of uh, in the, the parable of the talents. It's like, man, yeah. God gives, God gives you these talents, use them, you know, don't storm away yeah. and think like, like, well, maybe when I, you know, do this, I can kind of get that going. Yeah. Hey man, if you're the five talent guy, recognize you're the five talent guy and quit looking at the 10 talent guy going, gosh, I just wish. I think too much of our lives we spend um, wishing to either go back or go forward. Yeah. And in doing so, we miss the beauty of the present. You know, uh, people who get married, they just, they long to have kids, right? And they miss mm. the joy and the beauty of, of just being together. 
right? And then when mm-hmm. they have kids, they have little babies. They just, they want to get out of that stage. And then they have elementary kids and they long for the kids to get older and a little more independent. And then, you know, they're teenagers. And, and now we start looking back or wishing that they, they could launch. And, it, you know, we just, we miss what's right in front of us. And I think mm-hmm. too often we do that with ministry as well, because we wish the church was bigger. Or we long to go back to the days when it was smaller and simpler. And, you know, whatever it is, we're just missing the beauty of what God is doing right in that moment, you know? Mm, so good. And and I think that really cues us up well for the conversation we're about to have with Josh Brown, who's been a worship pastor for for many years. And there's just a subtleness to his soul, which I really appreciate. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like you know, sometimes as being a worship pastor can be such a tricky position, especially now, because I feel like between the skinny jeans and like, you know, the super cool haircuts and all that stuff, it it feels like there's sort of a mold that people are trying to fit and trying to do. But in reality, when you break it down, it's like, man, we're just here to help connect people with God. But yeah, we're hoping that the worship leaders who are listening, if you're a lead pastor and you're like, man, I, I really want to encourage my worship pastor today. I think this is a great opportunity. If they're part of the team, if they are on staff, if they're volunteers, it's just a great way to encourage a worship leader today. Josh, so good to be with you today, man. I I love this world because you and I have known each other for a few years now, and now I get a chance to have you on one of my, the greatest show uh, for pastors in all of Christendom, the Monday morning pastor. Um, <laughs> we're, wow. we're coming for the top charts. Uh, but anyways, Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your life, your calling. Uh, just let our listeners get a little glimpse into who you are. I will say, uh, Doug, the way that you and I met was Monday morning pastor. Yeah. Uh, I was an avid listener and am an avid listener of the podcast and been encouraged my own walk, uh, listening to every episode. And, uh, so that's how I connect with you. One episode you were, you were talking about some work that you do and and then we connected and that was, that was good. So yeah, I'm a worship arts pastor at a Wesleyan church in very, very Southern part of Michigan. Um, I've been married almost 23 years. Yeah. Nice. Uh, two boys, two girls, and uh, from 15 to 22, my fr- my oldest just got married. Dang. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm a coffee enthusiast. I love tattoos. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love that. I think, well, first of all, before we jump into all the other questions, dude, what's it like uh, seeing your oldest get married? You know, it was really beautiful because uh, the girl that he married um, is like a daughter to us. I mean, she she came and spent a lot of time with our family for several years before they were married. We love her. I mean, it was just we we couldn't have picked someone better for him. And we said that to our other other daughters and my my youngest son. We hope that you guys find someone uh, like Haley because she is such a joy. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And yes, I wish this was yeah. a video so people could actually see the beautiful ink on your arms. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. Uh, and let me tell you something that I love about Josh too, is a few years ago when, when I finished my sabbatical, we were chatting and he actually was kind enough to send me some cash to get the tattoo done right on my post sabbatical tattoo. So <laughs> just want to say thanks for that. Mm. Um, my, my family mm. thanks you as well, but yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Glad you're with us. And yeah, thanks for some of the context. So being in Southern Michigan and being a worship mm-hmm. arts pastor, what what are you noticing in the season? Like what's the Lord been up to? Yeah. Uh, worship arts in my context, uh, you know, our church started very, very small. It was 150, maybe 200 people eight years ago when I came to this church. And now there's close to 1200 people that that come to this church. So the the worship ministry is large, you know, there's like 60 people on our team. Um, but one of the really cool things that we're seeing God do is, is pressing into uh, space in our worship sets. So we're like most large churches, planning center, you know, is a big part of what we do. And we do have a rundown and we, we know exactly what's going to happen. And, 
what songs we're going to sing, who's leading what. Um, but we're really seeking God for kind of uh, spaces to breathe in, in the middle of the songs, um, in between songs. I know that's nothing new. You know, spontaneous worship has been around a long time. But for our our context, it's something that we're really asking God to to move and do in our midst. And we're seeing some of our worship leaders uh, step into that, whether it's reading scripture or a meditation, uh, something that is meaningful about the song that they're singing. So I would say uh, we're very produced, right? It's a very produced environment that we're in, but it's becoming less produced. Mm. And I don't know how, I don't know if that's even the right way to describe it. Less scripted, maybe? Well, it's still less... scripted, yeah. Bob, but it's, but there's just more air. I, I you know, it's yeah. kind of hard. Uh, one of the things that changed our worship ministry, and this sounds counterintuitive to what I just said was, we integrated the the MD or music director position. Um, and for those listening that don't know what an MD is, an MD is someone who on stage, they have a microphone that only goes to the band and to the production and broadcast team. Uh, and the MD in our context is, is really the worship leader. This person is seeking the Lord actively while they're playing their instrument and, and discerning the room you know, sensing what is the Lord doing? What's the Holy Spirit doing? And so this music director will, even if our chart happens to say, you know, that there's a dynamic dip coming and we all just need to kind of lay low. If the, if the MD is sensing, no, the Lord is, we're, we're supposed to, we're supposed to pick up and double our chorus here or build a bridge or whatever. The MD will call that mm. out in a microphone and, and guide the team as they discern the room. Um, I've been leading worship for 24 years. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Was that just, a, but did I, you just have I'm, a realization that you've been doing that for 24 years? Like, did we just maybe <laughs> <laughs> 23 or 24, yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, and I love being on the, I, I love on being on the front line and leading worship. I, I'm, I love doing it, but I love the MD position. Mm. I feel such a, sense of wholeness. And I feel God smiling when I'm in that position because um, there's so much uh, art and creativity in the MD position and, and a way to really see the Lord working in people's lives during worship. And then taking your gifts and your talents and guiding a team to respond and to minister to the Lord first, but then also kind of minister to the people. You know, if I, I just, I love that MD position. It's, it's a joy. If, if you're listening and you're in a worship program and you don't have an MD position, I will tell you, even if you're a small program, you don't have 60 people on your team, do it. Mm. Get moving mm. on that. Allow the Lord to develop that position because spiritually, I think once the mechanics of worship are, are kind of behind the scenes, you're free. Mm. You're free to do uh, with your gift what God's called you to do. And the MD is, is a key that unlocks that door. Mm. 24 years. Uh, worship and the technology that we use in it and, and just that, that space in our, in our church gatherings has changed so much over that time. Mm -hmm. As just in those couple decades where you've been doing this, uh, what changes have you seen that, that you think are awesome? great what mm -hmm. do you wish we hadn't changed what what yeah. what maybe is a step backwards do you think man i would say that the good that i've seen is the music that's coming out i mean there's mm. there's just some phenomenally anointed music that's coming out um bob i'll share with you too if you haven't heard it i shared with doug's i'm i'm passionate about uh things the bethel simple album mm. you need to listen to it you all right Oh man, there's, there's, a, I like, I like simple, man. That, that it sounds is a, good. And it is a simple album, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, but I don't know, Doug could speak to this too. There's a heart's cry in this, this particular record, particularly the song, the blood speaking of, of the table, the, the communion table that is just, um, I was on the trail running the first time I heard this record and I had to get low. <laughs> like it was one of those experiences. Like, 
no, this, this is not a, a, a song to just sing. It's a song to really be prostrate before the Lord. And, and so I think the music has gotten just to be amazing. The instruction, like uh, there's some podcasts that I listen to surrounding the worship world that it's like, man, there are some, there's some programs like 10,000 fathers out of Chicago that uh, all sons and daughters uh, or mm. sons and daughters, uh, my kids are a part of. So I think there's a lot of good teaching and there's a lot of great music. I would say some of the things that uh, they don't necessarily resonate with me uh, would be the, the really, really strong, uh, maybe explicit focus only on production and broadcast. Mm. Um, uh, God uses those things, uh, but there can be an overemphasis. Um, and I'm so thankful I serve a pastor who's just not of that persuasion. We push mm. for excellence in our program and what we do, but he's just like, if it's just you and your guitar, Josh, we're okay. We're fine. Mm. The Lord will be worshiped. We don't need uh, an 11 piece band every single Sunday, though 99% of the time, that's what we run a, a large band and uh, gifted people. Um, I would say some of the other things that I, that I uh, would say is some of the contemplative or, or meditative practices. Um, those, those aren't as used in worship programs as they should be. I think in the pastoral world, especially with the instruction you guys have provided at MMP and, and your, your amazing guests, um, I think worship programs need to be more focused around a contemplative life because the stage is, it can be an evil place, man. Like uh, the lights and the, mm. the glitz and the smoke and the whole thing, um, the pride that can, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. I mean, we've, we've heard for sure. decades that pride is a problem in worship. Uh, but I think that we need um, specific and purposeful practices that will combat those tendencies that any of us can have uh, being on a, on a stage with big lights um, to keep ourselves grounded in who we are in Christ and who he yeah. is, you know, who he is. That's probably the biggest thing. Um, and I've learned so much in the last several years from, from Doug and, and um, uh, the contemplative life, I think, is key. So tell us, oh, go ahead, Bob, I think you're ready to jump in. So I'll let you go. Well, I was just going to ask when you're talking about contemplative practices, are, are you saying what you're doing throughout the week as a worship leader with the team? Are you talking about things that you're integrating into the worship set? Tell me more what you mean by contemplative practices. Yeah, I would say both. Um, I, I would say both, um, Bob. You know, for us, uh, well, this year, particularly with our worship team, we, we felt like God was calling us to the altar, um, particularly to create a physical space in our worship center. Uh, and we're a Wesleyan church, so we've had kneelers, you know, at the altar for a long time. Uh, and so these, we, we wanted to create an atmosphere and an environment for 30 minutes before our rehearsals where we would, um, for those who wish to, invite the presence of God symbolically by lighting a candle coming into the space where there is um, uh, scripture uh, coming across the, the screens with uh, maybe I'd say atmospheric kind of music, just instrumental um, and a explicit practice to tell them to pray through the scriptures, to, to pray the word of God, to meditate and, and contemplate on the word of God, but then also to pray for God's people. Uh, and to pray for themselves in that 30 minutes. And it's completely silent. So I only have one rule. There's all these practices that, I, that we encourage people. Go lay hands on each other. Um, go kneel. Lay, lay down before the Lord. Lay, lift your hands. But my only rule is no phones mm. in the worship center <laughs> during mm. this 30 minutes. You may not bring your phone with you. If you have family things going on, just stay back in the green room and attend to those things. But don't bring that into, the, into that space. It's holy ground. Um, and we find that uh, Acts 4.13, I guess, I know I'm all over the place. Doug will tell you this is how I usually am. <laughs> uh, Acts 4.13, you know, these guys encounter the, the apostles and they say they were perplexed and amazed. And they knew they were untrained and uneducated people, but they knew that they'd been with Jesus. And that's the core and the heart vision for our worship ministry. It's like, I want to come on stage. I don't care how good or bad I sing or play. I mean, I do, but I want people to know that I've been with Jesus. So these practices throughout the week, 
um, are informing an overflow from stage. And again, I know I'm not saying anything new or uh, people for decades have said these things. So I'm encouraging my team. Uh, I actually, I'm, I'm pretty big on, on data and metrics. So we have a quarterly, we have a two question survey of everyone on our worship team. We, we require them. It's anonymous because we don't want any, you know, comparison and, and judgment or for them to feel less than. Um, you guys know the data uh, shows us that if you're in the word of God uh, three days a week, your life isn't going to change. You're going to have n- virtually no change in your life reading the Bible three days a week. If you read your Bible four days out of the week, there becomes a very small change. Five, mm-hmm. six, and seven days out of the week, your life is radically transformed. This is a survey of like 30,000 Christians globally. It's, it's an actual white paper. I'm trying to think of. Mm. Um, fantastic research. So we always ask our worship team members, how many, you know, are you in the word of God more than four days a week? That's one thing. The second thing we ask them is, do you have a Sabbath day? Are you, are you resting? So I know for my team, if they're in the word of God, four days of the week, Jesus will be faithful. The Holy Spirit's Mm going to be faithful to speak to them. And, and, and the music and all that, their gifting and talent, that's all going to come out in the wash. That time with Jesus, uh, four days out of the week, and then rest in Jesus one day out of the week. Um, I, I really don't have to think about things after that. It, that health is going to be an overflow. And I appreciate the way that that this, you know, the, the metrics that you've developed and even the way that that, that you've invited your team into kind of looking at the calling as being part of the team as something deeper than just playing an instrument, which has been really cool. Tell, mm. tell us a bit of your story of how, because the contemplative, like when I think of Josh Brown, I think of contemplative life. Like I think I've just watched a ton of growth and a ton of hunger and mm. just curiosity. Like tell us a bit of your story into the contemplative life and, and kind of mm-hmm. what it's been like for you. Mm. This is a short podcast. I don't know if we could do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. Uh, So I was born and raised in a Calvary Chapel church. Uh, Those listening, if you've seen the Jesus Revolution movie with Greg Laurie, that's the churches I came up in. And I, to this day, serve a lot of Calvary Chapel churches, amazing expository churches. Um, Eventually, the Calvary Chapel that I was a part of uh, started researching syncretism. And I know you guys are far more educated than me. You know what syncretism is. It's the blending of, you know, pagan practices with, with, uh, the practices of God. And looking back at third century, uh, history, particularly Constantine and, and the, those changes that happened in the church and, um, the church completely over a process of a number of years, uh, completely derailed and became a messianic or Hebrew roots church. Are you, are you guys, I know Doug's familiar, Bob, are you familiar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And there's really uh, some beautiful things about uh, some of the messianic practices in our context. It wasn't as beautiful and became uh, very legalistic. And so there was a lot of fear uh, surrounding mm-hmm. like anything that wasn't explicitly in the scriptures. Um, Sola Scriptura was emblazoned, you know, that concept was really uh, a big part of it, and particularly an adherence to, to Jewish practices, right? And so for me, um, the contemplative life was something I had always understood to be like new age, literally, like mysticism was new age and pro- probably dangerous to my life in Christ. Um, and so for many years, uh, growing up, I had no exposure to the contemplative life. Um, and when I was born again, when I was saved, I didn't have any context to the contemplative life. And I would say about eight, eight years ago, when our, our family kind of came out of that Messianic Hebrew Roots Church, uh, there were two scriptures that God just, to this day, I, I, they're, they're anthems in my life. Because I had so many things that were really rigid and, and truly legalistic in my life. Uh, the Lord spoke Luke 7.35 to me. You know, Jesus said that wisdom is justified by her children. 
um, the fruit and the results of the practices and the ways that we live are the reality as to whether they're from God or whether they're not. Am I more like Jesus? Do I love him more? Do I, do I hear his voice? Do I act like him more? Uh, so when we came out of that Messianic uh, congregation, that's really what God began to speak to me. It's like, judge the fruit, judge the fruit. And then secondly, in First Corinthians 2, uh, I determined to know nothing among them except Christ and him crucified. You know, that the crucifixion of Jesus was now going to be this foundational standard for my life. And all of the other things would become very peripheral to me. Um, and they did. So listeners can probably think, well, this guy deconstructed. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I did. And I continue to do every day of my life. I continue to seek God and say, Lord, uh, take those things away from me that are from my past, uh, even before I was saved, Lord. Anything that is going to harm me or others, I want to take away from me, and I want what you want for me. And God loves me. The Holy Spirit loves me. The Father loves me. And so I can trust him. I can trust him. He will not guide or lead me in a way that's going to harm me. So I started reading books, and I started listening to podcasts that uh, I would have never been exposed to. And I started introducing practices. You know, for me, um, one of the first practices for me was contemplative prayer. Uh, the Jesus prayer became a very big part of my life, uh, just to begin to pray, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And the Lord's prayer began to be a very, very big part of my life. And, and, and I find that uh, remembering the different portions of that prayer have a huge impact on me. Um, and I started connecting with, with podcasts, uh, 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 Ruth Haley Barton's podcast in the Transforming Center. And and, and learning about that Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, um, a lot of the, the Dallas Willard, N.T. Wright. So there was just a lot of people. Uh, John Mark Comer has had a major impact on my life. So a lot of reading, you know, I, I just started voraciously consuming content. And a lot of content, Ronald Rollheiser, Sacred Fire. The, I mean, there's a lot of, of Catholic uh, content as well. And I started seeing my life change. I started seeing God using these practices um, to really make me different. Whereas before, I would try to be different. I, like I really wanted to be like Jesus, Romans 7, you know, this battle thing. But as I began to employ these practices, I began to change. Like I actually began to be a different person. And I'm still struggling, right? Like I'm still whatever. There's all, all sorts of things. Uh, but my journey to the contemplative life has been one of just real longing to be free and to be different. Um, to live a life that honors Jesus. Because my life was spared in a very, and that's a whole other talk, but I came from a very rough life. Uh, very rough life. And Jesus, uh, like a lightning bolt, set me free. Um, just, uh, just changed my life. And uh, I find that the practices are the means to living like Jesus. They really are. I'm glad you have some tissues with you, brother. Um, <laughs> I think what I appreciate too is you know, even in the, in, in the time that I've known you just to continue to bear witness to that change and just to see it. And like, it just, I think what I've noticed kind of come up in you in the last couple of years too, has just been this like longing to see, uh, like your team and your, you know, other leaders and especially young leaders just be poured into like, what, tell, tell us about your heart for, your team and like you've developed a pretty unique um like methodology or I don't even want to call it a method just like uh, a, a rhythm uh for your worship team and I'd love for you to just share that cuz I, I think there's a deep encouragement there for other pa whether you're a pastor or a worship pastor a kids pastor a youth pastor but just the very intentional way that you're pouring into your team yeah, talk about like where that came from and why and or first of all what it is and then where it came from mm -hmm. and and you know what you're noticing in that. 
Yeah, it's it's the the kitschy Christian word that's being used. Word it's a cohort. Yes, <laughs> and there's you know a, a thousand million of these. Uh, so yeah, it, it came out of a desire to take. I'll say, uh, the leaders in my team. There are six or seven people who I really wanted to see. Uh, I just really wanted to share like what God had been doing in my own life, and so. We developed, um, and Doug, you were part of this. You know, you spoke into some of these the 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 components of this. But essentially, the the concept is a triad that we are uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical beings, and that if any of these points of this triangle are are not healthy, they affect one another. Again, I know this is nothing new. It was new to me, um, and so there is a year long journey where we begin with all data. So we have uh, logs and again, 100% anonymous and private. There's no comparison. We're not bringing these logs to these meetings. We have once uh, a meeting once a month where we break bread together. We eat. That's really important. And then we talk about a particular component um, of our physical health, spiritual health, or emotional health. We actually spend three months on each of those uh, parts. And I use stuff from EHD. I use stuff, um, uh, Rich Velotis. I use quite a, quite a few different uh, pieces. But the idea is for them to track their time spent and their growth over a period of 12 months while introducing contemplative practices in order to see it after the year is done, wow, I'm a different person. There is some truth to uh, a, a contemplative prayer life and uh, time in the Word of God every day, listening prayer, another important part. Um, so I don't know, Doug, how much you're wanting me to talk about. Maybe the I don't know, but that's es- essentially what what the, what it is. Well, and I think too, some of it is even when you think about about the ministry over the course of twenty, you know, twenty plus years, right? Like I think back to my myself as a as a very young pastor thinking the physical life had no implication on my spiritual, you know, on my spiritual formation. And so I think even in that, it's like, there's something about trying to help people to see the holistic approach. And and I wonder too, if that's so deeply attached to healthy pastors that stay in the game for a long time. I wonder how much of the realization of those three parts equaling a whole opposed to that so yeah, I would love for you to like talk a little bit like how are you and how are you helping your team navigate physical as as a part of who they are as a person in Christ? Yeah, one of the first things we ask them to track is uh, where they're spending their time, um, and it's literally minutes that compile a, a graph <laughs> that shows them because inevitably, right? Everyone's going to say, "I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to eat well. I don't have time to be in the Word of God. I don't have time for prayer." And the reality is, once you start keeping these logs, uh, your awareness comes to the surface and you begin to see, whoa, I really do. And the only two areas that I require them to track is their social media engagement and their time watching TV or slash YouTube, whatever, just any of those sorts of things, uh, and track it by minutes. Because most of us, if you literally do that for 30 days, you will be disgusted. <laughs> uh, that's the right word. I mean, you're going to be disgusted with what you, because you're going to realize that there's like 40, for most people, there's like 30 to 40 hours every month mm. that I'm on social media or on television. So then it's a hard truth, right? You come back and the data brings this awareness. And okay, what am I going to do with this? Uh, the next thing is to say, uh, physically, what am I doing? Let's make a physical goal to say, uh, Look, when I come home from the office, and this is how granular we're going to be, when I come home from the office, I'm not going to drive past the mailbox and lean out the car window to grab the mail and then pull in the garage and go in the house. For the first 30 days, I'm going to go in, I'm going to park the car, I'm going to walk out to the mailbox. I'm just going to walk. You could miss one day, but you can never miss two. This is crucial, especially with the physical side of things. You miss one day, but you can't miss two. Uh, Craig Rochelle, some of his content has been really informative with that. Um, and so the goal for, is to show, uh, uh, basically to get traction. It used to be, and you guys can correct me, I think it was like you needed 100 days 
of like everyday practice to make a habit. And now it's so much longer than that. Like it's 200 days or something crazy. Uh, So the goal is first awareness. What am I doing with my time? And then what do I really want to do with my time? Like, who am I inside? And what are the, am I making the choices that actually I want to make? Because we get into these routines and schedules like, uh, no, I actually don't want to be on social media for 35, 40 hours a month. I want to be present to my family and I want to be present to my physical body and, and be a good steward. And I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. And the more you exercise and the more you eat well, and the more that time you're with Jesus, it's, a, it's, you want, it, it compiles. It's very compounding. It's a snowball downhill. Like you just begin to, and then I'm on my personality. I have to govern myself on the other side of that. Cause if I'm lifting weights or I'm running, like if running five miles is good, 10 is better, <laughs> which is not healthy either. That's not a healthy thing. Uh, and so I have to govern those sorts of things and remain disciplined on both sides of the, of the spectrum uh, to remain healthy. It's not all about doing. It's also about not doing, accepting the mm-hmm. limits that God have pla- has placed in my life. So just trying to make the team members aware of that. Um, and when they become aware, again, God is faithful. He's going to speak to them. He's going to show them. As long as they have that information, the Holy Spirit's going to work in their lives. Josh, I love that. I I mean, what I'm hearing is that you have taken intentionality with your worship team, uh, just uh, their formation, their discipleship to a level. I don't know that I've ever heard any worship pastor, worship leader uh, really talk about. And I love that because I think just just getting worship leaders often to see what they're doing with their team just as discipleship at all on some level is often a challenge. And I, I think you've embraced that. And that, that sounds so amazing. Um, I'm wondering, I think a lot of, for a lot of pastors, particularly those that are kind of more up in their heads or they're, they're more gifted teachers as opposed to um, some of the other apostolic giftings. I think for, for many of them, the worship pastor is a strange and odd creature. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't really get the yeah. artistic temperament or whatever. What for for those pastors that are listening uh, and they're wondering, like, what could what could I do to bless my my worship pastor, my worship leader? What um, what's one thing I could know that maybe would help me understand them? Like, let's build a bridge today. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a great question, uh, Bob. And I serve a pastor who's very creative himself. He's gifted Mm. graphically. He's gifted with design. Um, I would say that the most important thing is, um, trust, Hmm. um, you know, having, having a lead pastor who, who says, I see Jesus in you. I see the Hmm. Holy spirit in you and I see the gifts of God in you and I'm trusting you to (laughs) do with what God has given you what's best for this community. And I have a pastor like that. I serve a pastor like that who gives a lot of freedom and autonomy. So, and I understand that that has to be gained. It wasn't always that way for me. You know, initially when I began to serve, you know, we would have these giant whiteboard meetings and we collectively created this and and there was, it was very, very much, um, and I struggled with that initially, but I saw the wisdom of God in it because their gifts came to the surface and I began yeah. to see, wow, I could have never created that, that cool element that they just did. The Lord's in it. I see the Lord on the whiteboard. <laughs> I see it. Hmm. Uh, and eventually as we scaled and grew as a church, those meetings were no longer possible. And our pastor began to see, it's like, okay, Josh and, and his leadership team on the worship team, uh, they're, they're steering the ship in a good direction. It's not always right. It's not always wrong, but they're going in the right way. And so we can trust them. So I would say if you're a senior pastor, trust is important. Um, The second thing would be time and communication. Um, Spend Mm -hmm. time with your worship pastors. Um, I know for me, I'm a worship pastor almost secondarily to the the psychology of an assistant pastor. And that's Mm -hmm. very much coming from a, a Moses model of leadership in Calvary Chapel assistant pastor was very much, you know, holding up the arms and like, I need to help Mm. you fulfill the call of of a lead pastor. And so 
deeply inside of me, I want to please the lead pastor. Like I want mm-hmm. to, I want to honor him. And I want the service that I give to the Lord to be something that blesses him and fulfills the vision and mission that God's given him because God has called him to lead our church. He's called our elder board to lead our church. So um, knowing when that happens, uh, senior pastors that are listening, if you could speak to your worship leaders and just tell them that that brought joy to my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. You'll be surprised in, in your worship leaders, though they're not technically assistant or executive pastors, they will be, I know I'm encouraged when my pastor sends that kind of encouragement to me. Um, and when he makes intentional time to have conversation about creative elements or what we're doing. So is that yeah. what you're thinking of, Bob? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think you nailed that. Um, yeah. So I, I think just before we jump into the lightning round, which I can't wait, uh, cause I'm just excited to hear a, a creative worship pastor handle some of these like really off the wall questions. Um, but like, even just from the perspective, what encouragement would you have right now to that 20 something year old worship pastor? Who's just getting started. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they're great musicians. They have a heart for Jesus and they're just sitting there think, you know, they've got this whole, hopefully 25, 30 years ahead of them. Like what mm-hmm. would be just some encouragements you'd want to leave them with? Uh, I would say that you would seek the Lord to teach you to number your days and to think about your life. Think about the time that God's given you. Um, it's so much longer and shorter than you think. Hmm. You uh, have so much ahead of you. Um, really press into being disciplined with your craft. Learn your instrument well. Get the mechanics of, of worship out of, out of the way so that you can be a free and open tool in the hands of God uh, to be able to be used. Never neglect your personal discipleship. Never. You cannot lead worship. You can't serve God's people. You can't serve God apart from your own personal connection with Jesus. Uh, I like what Peace Cazero says. You can never let your doing for Jesus outpace your being with Jesus. That is that was true when I was 19 and, and saved and became a worship leader to, to today. So young worship leader, uh, Jesus has to be first. And I promise you, I guarantee you, all of the other things are going to work themselves out. Mm. It, it, will, it, will come, it will come out just as God wants if, as you put him first, as, as you seek him first in your own worship, your own time with him. When I first was saved, a big practice of mine was just go up into my room. I uh, still lived at home with my folks before I got married, and I'd shut the door. I'd have a notebook, and I'd have all my old friends' names on this notebook, and I'd pray over these people, and I'd get my guitar out, and I'd get my three-ring binder that had all of the printed chord sheets and the, the plastic. Yeah. <laughs> you the guys button. know what I'm talking yes. about? The sheet protectors. Yes. And man, it was just me and Jesus and my guitar and the old Hosanna Integrity Maranatha songs. <laughs> uh, and I just sing and pray and just spend time with Jesus, just, just me and him. No stage, no band, no arrangements, no people. Uh, spend time worshiping uh, and singing to the Lord. Just you, apart from the stage. Um, yeah, I could probably talk too long on, on this particular thing. I'm feeling older than, <laughs> than 20 because I am. <laughs> Uh, oh man. Yeah. Well, all right. So are you ready for the lightning round? That's the question. Uh, I hope so. Okay. <laughs> we'll we, see. We need to, we need some theme music. I know for we, this, we really we'll, do. We'll take care of that later. <laughs> all right. So let, let me start off with the first one. Uh, skinny jeans or boot cut. <laughs> I would say, I would say regular. Yeah. Boot. Cut. Okay. I was a skinny jeans guy till not too long ago. And I switched, mm-hmm. uh, to to regular yeah okay all right how about this dc talk or audio adrenaline mm. can, I, can i can i offend the listeners <laughs> yes neither yes neither. Oh. neither all right fine well this one you have to pick shout okay. to the north or shine jesus shine shine jesus shine oh really yeah oh interesting i don't know shout to the north Oh, what? dang. I don't know that song. I feel like Bob should sing it just to like make it uh, a real thing for your mind. I don't even know hymns, guys. Like I'm learning <laughs> hymns now, 23 years later. I came up in a rock and roll church 
you know, Calvary yeah. Chapel, we didn't play hymns. I didn't know hymns growing up. So the beauty of hymns is all new to me now as well. All right. Well, that's your homework for after this podcast is just yeah. look up Shout to the North and and say thank you to Bob and Doug for that. <laughs> all right. Keep going. All Doug. right. All right. So uh uh how how long is too many times to sing of his love forever? <laughs> uh I would say I'm an even number guy, so not more than six okay. or eight, maybe. Okay. Oh, yes. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, yeah. One person from church history that you'd want to spend time with. Ooh. Probably Augustine. Augustine. That's, nice. yeah. That's All right. good. Okay. Yeah. Truth, truth here. Have you ever sang Friends Are Friends Forever? I don't know that song. No. <laughs> what? What? I don't know that song. Oh my gosh. You don't know friends or friends forever? No. Oh my gosh. Jo okay. Josh, this well, is really good. I feel like it's almost like an intervention at this point in time. I mean, Bob, are you, are you okay? A bunch of work. <laughs> I, I'm shook. I mean, maybe I know it if you sing it, but I don't Can know. I you Smith, friends or friends. Okay. All right. All right. I don't think I know it. Man. Okay, finally, finally, last one. When you sing, well, see, now I'm going to, I know you don't sing it. I was going to ask you, uh, when you sing, come thou fount of every blessing, do we raise the Ebenezer or do we not? Do we do the Ebenezer version or no? Whatever is original. That's is the Ebenezer be. version. Yeah, raise, do really? it, man. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know okay. that song. I know that one, but I don't know all the words. <laughs> I just know parts of it. It's brilliant. Okay. Brilliant. All right. Yeah, you, all, right. all the listeners and, and you guys are like, what kind of worship <laughs> is this? This guy doesn't even know hymns or any of the good old songs. Have you heard of Amazing Grace, Josh? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Every funeral I play at, that's, that's, that's one of the ones I, I play. Oh, yeah. Man, it's such a joy to be with you today, Josh. Uh, thanks again for making the, carving the time out to uh, hang out. How, how can people get in contact? with you if if they want to just get to know you some more or, or be invested in what you're doing yeah yeah shoot me an email um jb as in josh brown at the radiant life dot church the radiant life dot church you could shoot me an email i'd love to connect with any listeners um the cohort that i did at the church uh, we're just about finished with the first round and we're actually getting ready to do a round with the district that I'm a part of in the Wesleyan denomination called the GLR. But I sense that God could maybe use this in other contexts. So if you'd like the, some information on that, I don't have anything official or anything, no coursework or anything. I, I'd be happy to connect with you over Zoom cool. to just share the little bit that I know <laughs> and and pass it on. It could be a, uh, something you could modify for your context. Yeah, sweet. And we'll go ahead and make sure we throw your email in the show notes. Um, yeah, could you send us out with the benediction? Yeah, yeah. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you uh, for redeeming us. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for... Uh, just the joy of being with you, hearing your voice, Lord. Thank you for my brothers. God, thanks for Doug. Uh, thanks for his place in my life and so many others, Lord. Thanks for Bob. Lord, thanks for the book that Bob wrote. I'm reading it now in Elders. Thank you. You're changing me by that book. I pray for Bob and his family. Bless him, Lord. Uh, God, for our listeners, uh, anything that was said today that doesn't bring you honor, would you just strike it from their memory? Anything that could be useful to them that would uh, draw them closer to you, uh, encourage their lives, Lord, worship leaders and pastors. And, um, we pray a special blessing on the worship leaders, Lord, and uh, ask for your grace and your mercy to be extended to them. In Jesus' name, 